this year we, uh, as we approach Christmas, it's, it's, Christmas is one of those things that comes around every year, right? And so, so how do you deal with Christmas every year? And so that you, you can just do the same old, same old. And sometimes from our perspective, that, uh, it gets a little bit difficult because like, didn't I preach that last year? Didn't I say the exact same thing last year? And so how do we come, come around Christmas? And so this year, we decided to take uh, a, a little bit different approach, take, take something out of culture and then use it in, in a way to communicate the purpose and message of Christmas. And so, as I said last week, one of our family's favorite Christmas movies is Elf. We watched it Friday night, got some pizza and sat down together and, and, and we, we, we watch it every year, but we still laugh at all the same parts. Although this year, Eske uh, and I both noticed different things that we had never seen before. It's like, huh, how have we never seen that part there? And uh, uh, just funny to see uh, how you can see things differently over and over again. So that's why some people might just say, hey, Mike, just preach the same Christmas message because we need to hear the same thing over and over again. But if you haven't seen the movie, Will Ferrell is a human who somehow makes his way to the North Pole. He gets, crawls in Santa's bag, gets up to the North Pole. He is raised by elves. And so as he is raised by these elves, the elves have a certain code, a certain code of life that they follow. And last week, we looked at the best way to spread Christmas cheer is singing loud for all to hear. And we looked at uh, the Magnificat. We looked at uh, the, the story of Mary. We, we looked at her song. We looked at um, uh, how she sings. And we, look at, we, look at, um, that we, we saw that in, in the Christmas story, there is music everywhere. It's like a Broadway musical. You have Mary singing. You have after the birth of John the Baptist. You have Zechariah singing. On the night that Jesus is born, you have the angels singing. Music is everywhere. And this music brings us joy, the joyful message that Jesus has been born to be our Savior. And we sing special songs at this time of year to remind us, to help us celebrate the birth of Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't come just so we have some special songs that we can sing. He came with a mission, a mission older than creation itself. See, when God created the heavens and the earth, he also created man create man in his image, to be his representative, to, to, to be his, the caretaker over his creation. And when he made us, he made us in his image. There's, some, there's a Jewish thought that said that, that we were supposed to be uh, partakers, full partakers in the very image of God. But as sin entered the garden, our access to that image, well, that line became broken. And it's still evident in us, but it's, it's marred. It's, it's, it's not whole. So when sin entered the garden, paradise was lost. But God had a, a plan. God had a mission. So he sends Jesus to earth so that paradise could be regained. If you know anything about uh, the book of Romans, Paul writes this book to uh, the church in, in Rome. And in Romans 3, verses 10 through 20, if, if we were looking at that verse today, uh, the, the, the simple uh, title for that sermon would be, You're All Naughty, right? I mean, if you, if you read through, if, you, if you're there in Romans 3, you want to scan through that. Maybe uh, I'm looking, as I'm preaching today, you scan through that. Pretty much it says, You're All Naughty, right? I mean, we are all broken. We're all sinful. And we're going to get into that here in a little bit. But the elves, they believe everybody is worthy of redemption. They believe that there is room for everyone on the nice list. See, Will Ferrell, he finds out that his dad is on the naughty list. And he goes to New York to find him. And 
And, and there's this whole thing, and he sees just, just how off his dad has gotten. And by the end of it, we, we, we learn that there's, there's room for everyone on the nice list, even, even uh, Buddy's dad. There's help for us. See, God is just like the elves. He believes there's room for everyone on the nice list. But our access to that is not by our own effort. It's not by our own personal successes. It's not by our own personal effort. In fact, it's only through faith in the one who's chosen before the creation of time, but was revealed in these last days for our sake. Only revealed through, our only access is through Jesus. So if you would, turn with me today to, to Romans chapter 3, and we're going to look at verses 21 to 26. And like I said, Paul writes this, uh, this letter to the church in Rome. Paul had never, hadn't been to Rome yet. Paul's heart was to get to Rome. He was actually a, born a Roman citizen. And he longed to go to Rome and tell his people and tell the, the, those in the capital about the Messiah, about Jesus, about the Savior that God sent to earth. And as he, as he writes and he, he prepares uh, them for his coming, he writes this letter and it's full of, of, of all these deep doctrinal things. He kind of lays out for them the doctrine of salvation. Yeah, he, he, he eventually will make his way to, to Rome and he'll be under house arrest and he'll be able to have guests and teach and disciple these Roman Christians. But until then, this letter is to, to stand in his place. He begins to teach them this, this doctrine. The doctrine of salvation, but what the gospel accomplishes for us and why we need it. And just like the elves and just like God, Paul believes there's room for everyone on the nice list. This is what Paul writes for us. Romans 3, verse 20, starting with verse 21. He says, but now, but now a righteousness from God apart from law has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness from God through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented him as a sacrifice of atonement through faith in his blood. He did this to demonstrate his justice because in his forbearance, he had left sins committed beforehand unpunished. But he did it to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. You might be thinking, Mike, this is not the typical Christmas sermon. Uh, and this is one of the, more, one of the most uh, deep theologically and, and doctrinal passages, one of the richest theological passages in all of Scripture. And, and as I said earlier, it, it explains what the gospel accomplishes for us. See, oftentimes we make the mistake that the gospel is salvation, and that salvation is the gospel. And the two are different. The gospel is how Jesus comes and he fulfills the covenant that God made to Abraham and Israel. That he lives out his life. He fulfills that covenant. And he, he comes and he lives and he dies in our place. He is the ultimate sacrifice for sin. And then he rises again to give us hope for new life. And so Jesus came and he died just as the scriptures said. And he rose from again just as the scriptures prophesied. And that tells us the gospel. What the gospel accomplishes in our life is salvation. And that's what Paul writes about here. He, he writes how the gospel uh, fulfills itself, how it works itself out in our life. The effect of the gospel it has on those who believe. And we'll see that here in a little bit. 
Paul says, you know, he, you know, he, he, you know, he goes through Roman, what we see is Romans 3, 10 through 20, and says that we're, you know, we, we try to live by law, we try to, try to follow the law, but in the end, we, we are all, we're all broken, we're all naughty, we're all sinful. That not one of us is righteous. He says there's good news because now, apart from the law, there is a righteousness that God has made known. That we no longer have to uh, expect our life to be, we no longer have to, to, to try to satisfy the law to receive righteousness. We no longer have to live a perfect life to be righteous. So there's a, a righteousness that comes apart from the law. See, before Jesus, the only way that one, the only way they knew to be righteous was to follow, to obey the law completely all the time. Follow the law, to follow the prophets, follow the Old Testament scriptures. And, and this, this, is how we, this is how we get ourselves home. This is how we uh, are righteous to God. This is how we uh, uh, satisfy our relationship, the covenant with him. It's the only way to be righteous was to obey the law all the time. And so we're going to call that law righteousness, okay? So we have two different ways, two different forms of righteousness. The first one is law righteousness, right? It's like obey the law all the time. Who here is obeyed? Their parents obeyed the law all the time. Okay, so we're all in good company, right? We could all stand up. This could be a Sinners Anonymous meeting. I'm Mike, and I'm a sinner, right? We could all do that together, right? Now, even you at home, you could be saying, hey, you might, I, 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 we, we, we all, we, we've all broken the law sometime. We've driven too fast. We've smarted off when we shouldn't have. We've thought bad thoughts about someone because they cut us off in traffic. They gave us a raw deal. Whatever it is, We've all been sinful, right? We can all say, yep, that's, that's me. We, when we look at law of righteousness, that's no longer available to us because we've not obeyed the law all the time. Righteousness that can only be achieved by perfectly obeying the law. And this form of righteousness is completely unavailable because Paul says, hey, there's no difference between any of us, between Jew or Gentile between the, those who were raised with the law and those who, are, who, who haven't known about the Old Testament law, we are all, we've all sinned and we all fall short of the glory of God. We have, no matter if we were raised in it or not, Paul's like, we've all done wrong. And that we all fall short of the glory of God. So Paul says, now that we have, we, there, there is righteousness that's available to us, but it can't be available to us through law because we've already broken that path. Whether we're Jew or Gentile, there is no difference. So according to law of righteousness, we, don't, we have no hope. The only th- it's only through faith in Jesus there is hope. Because we've all fallen short. But just as we've all fallen short, there's hope because we can all be justified freely by his grace. We've all sinned, and now there's hope for all. That we can all be justified by the grace of Jesus. So all of our, the, what, this, what this verse does not say is that everyone's going to be saved. So we, we want to jump to that, right? Man, we, we, we've all sinned and now we are all justified. But the, the curse and the remedy are applied differently, right? We are all, we, 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 the, the curse is applied equally because we've all sinned. We have all sinned. We all fall short of the glory of God. But all are, all, are, all are not justified. Only those who believe in Jesus. 
See, this righteousness from, apart from the law, it is only available to those who believe. We are saved by grace. We can't do anything to earn it. But that grace comes through faith. We, don't get, we get the curse because we all live and breathe and we do wrong things. But we only get the remedy through faith. We have to believe in Jesus. The redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Paul says that is the only way that we are, are then justified from our sin. So if you remember, law righteousness only occurs to those who, are, who obey the law all the time. But law righteousness is broken to us. That, that path is no longer available to us. And so we have grace righteousness. And that is only available, the, our only access to that is through faith in Jesus. And we would have hope in him. Our only hope comes through him. And so, man's obedience. We say, well, Mike, what about, what about good people, right? Because there are good people in the world. And the good people do good things. Yeah, shouldn't God allow them into heaven, right? Yeah, like, there, 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 there is just that, that, that angst in us that, man, they're, they're good people. They're good people. But our obedience through law righteousness, Isaiah says it counts as filthy rags. It counts as filthy rags and is futile for salvation. Because our sin, we, we can never cover up our sin with enough good acts, with enough good deeds. It just doesn't work that way. But grace righteousness has been provided for us by the substitutionary death of Jesus on the cross. As I said, sin eliminates the option for law righteousness. We stand condemned as guilty according to the law. That, that phrase, fall short, is perfect. That phrase, fall short, is, is perfect because it means that we are deficient, that we are found wanting, that we lack something. Have you ever lacked something? Maybe you're at the store, you're trying to buy something, you're a couple bucks short. You lack something, right? Maybe you're trying to do a job. Maybe you're trying to, to, to make, some, make a gift for someone for Christmas and you need a tool. You need a piece of this or something of that and you don't have it and you, you lack something. Maybe you're trying to accomplish something and there's, just, there's this piece of knowledge that you do not have. You, you, you know this step and that step, but you can't bridge the gap between the two. You lack something. So we lack something. We lack the ability to obey the law. We lack that access to grace except through faith. And so there we are. We, we lack because we've sinned. So God, through Jesus, provides what we are lacking. He provides for our justification. Has anyone here ever tried to justify their actions? You know, you, you do something and you know it's just not quite right. But you try to pass it off as it is, right? And someone's like, you know, that wasn't quite right. But you're like, yeah, but it was, it was you just try to, try to weasel your way, try to, try to smooth the corners on, try to make it seem more right. Anybody ever do, do that? Yeah. When we just try to justify our actions, what we do is we try to make it seem like we, we just did the right thing even when we didn't. And so when God provides for our justification, through Jesus. And so when we believe in him, when we accept his work on the cross for our sins, God looks at us just as if I'd never sinned. The good way, well, what's justified mean? 
When, if I believe in Jesus, if I'm walking with him, God looks at me just as if I'd never sinned. And so here's kind of how it goes down. We're brought into a courtroom. God, the judge, is, is sitting uh, up on his bench. The uh, a prosecuting attorney uh, reads, reads our list of charges. And we've been caught red-handed with the hand in the cookie jar, looking like the cat that just ate the canary. Things are bad. We are guilty. We are doomed. But then the judge, God looks down from his bench, and he recognizes saving faith in Jesus in us. And he pronounces no punishment for you. No punishment for you. It's not that we're not guilty, right? I mean, I mean if, if, we are, if we're not guilty, then we can achieve righteousness by the law. But all of us here have already said we're guilty. So we can't achieve righteousness on our own. We need someone to stand in our place. So we, if we are guilty, then what do we do with the punishment? God sees us. He sees our faith in Jesus and he pronounces no punishment for us because we are guilty. No amount of grace eliminates the fact that we have sinned. What God's grace and mercy does is eliminates the penalty for that sin. Here's how God provided for our justification. God presented Jesus as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. So I'm going to step into the deep theological waters here real quick and, and use some words that we don't use very often uh, because uh, in certain conversations about this, you might hear these words. You might go, so, so I, I'm going to try to explain it and bring you along on the way, okay? So the, some people think of this, they look at it and they go, this verse, this, this word sacrifice of atonement represents this word called expiation. Expiation, it's kind of a fancy sounding word, isn't it? That's why we don't use it very often because it just sounds Weird. And our, the next word I'm going to say sounds even weirder, uh, but, but we'll get to that. Um, but the word expiation uh, paints a picture that, uh, that that's the, sacrifice, that the sacrifice of Jesus just appeases God. That just covers our sin. It does not cover God's wrath. And this really is a better picture of what the Old Testament sacrifices were. It just kind of said, hey, hey, we're sorry for our sin but it just rolled ahead God's wrath. It pushed God's wrath down the road. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna, we're gonna make this continuing payment on our debt, but we're not going to really make any advancement on it. We're never going to pay any down on the principal. We're just going to kind of continue it over for the next year. So God looks and he, he sees. It, it covers our sin, but does nothing to avert the wrath of God. It just merely appeases God's wrath. And this is a pagan concept. Not just Old Testament law, but it's also just a pagan concept and not appropriate to apply to God. Uh, Jack Cottrell said this. He said, God's righteousness requires him to be true to his perfect holiness, which requires him to uphold the full integrity of the law, which requires him to punish those who violate that law by their sin. So Jesus' blood, if it's just an expiation, it covers the sin, but does not cover the punishment. And God in his perfect holiness had to uphold both the letter and the consequence of the law. It says that he, he, he didn't punish the sin for a period of time, right? 
in his forbearance, he left sins committed beforehand unpunished. He, he kind of said, hey, we're going to just kind of hold these right here and we'll, we'll deal with them later, right? We'll deal with them. They're going to be dealt with, right? But we'll just deal with them. We're going to deal with them down the road. He held them off for a time. But God can't close his eye to that sin. He can't let it go unpunished. And so the sacrifice of Jesus can't just merely be expiation, which satisfies the letter of the law, but not deal with the punishment. Instead, it deal, the, the, the best way to look at Jesus' sacrifice is the word propitiation. You know, and that sounds even weirder. And what that means is that not only does it deal with our sin, it also covers the wrath of God. Through, the, through Jesus' sacrifice, he puts us in right, not just in right standing with the law, but he also satisfies the punitive wrath of God. See, if it were not, if there was no sin, there'd be no need for Jesus, right? If we were perfect, Jesus didn't have to come to die. Jesus would not have died on the cross. He might have come just to, to help bring us all in home, but there would have been no re- need for him for his sacrifice on the cross. But because of sin, because of our deficiency, because of what we lack, Jesus had to come to be that sacrifice for us. So he comes and he, he, he gives his life. The law required that there be bloodshed, that death had to occur as a punishment sin and that death should have been ours but jesus took our place and redeemed us from our bondage to sin and satisfied the wrath of god that therefore through our faith god gives us grace and he looks on us and he says no punishment for you who believe right believe in jesus if you believe in jesus there's no punishment for us It is this faith that is a necessary condition to apply the results of Jesus' sacrifice to the life of the sinner. So all of sin, all fall short of the glory of God. But those who are redeemed, those who are restored, those who are justified are only those who believe and put their faith and trust in the work of Jesus on the cross. We are then justified and we are put in right standing with the law and, and we are removed from the proverbial naughty list. Is this faith that is necessary that Jesus might redeem us? See, God justifies sinners, not the well-intentioned. See, the one who recognizes their need for a Savior, not the one trying to achieve righteousness on their own. Because we can never fully satisfy the law on our own once we have sinned. Once we have sinned, we are forever on the naughty list. But there's hope. There's hope. For salvation. The just and holy God requires death for sin. It could either be ours or it could be someone else's. If we choose any form of self-salvation, it will be our death that will be required of us. Both physical here on earth and then spiritually for eternity in hell. But God did not want to remain separated from us forever. But neither Neither can he just turn a blind eye and set aside his holiness and still restore us to himself. And so God had to be full and full integrity. He had to deal both with our sin and with our restoration. And that's why Jesus enters the picture. God does this to demonstrate his justice at the present time so as to be the, as just 
and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. He's just because death had to occur. Blood had to be shed to forgive sins. It's going to be your blood, my blood, or Jesus. He sends Jesus to stand in our place. We're justified through that blood if we put our faith and trust in him. There is no other way. You can try it on your own. You can try going your own way, but it will not work. In the end, you can, you can put all your chips into that pot. It is a broken road. Because all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Jesus comes to stand in our place. Fully man and fully God. The only one who could be the sacrifice for all of sin for all time. The writer of Hebrews says it this way. For this reason, he had to be made like them fully human in every way in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God, that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. See, Jesus stands in our place. He, he dies in our stead. This is how the great exchange takes place. That we, choose, we can either choose to face judgment on our own, leading to both death and hell, or we can face the judgment through faith in, God, in the blood of Jesus, having his work applied to our life that we might walk in the newness of life. Paul describes it like this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The human tragedy can be summed up like this. All have sin. And God, in his holiness, provides a substitute so that we would not have to die for our sin. Just a few pages over, Paul said, all of sin falls short of the glory of God. And then he writes this, for the wages of sin is death. What we get for our sin is death, both physically and spiritually. Death was never a part of the plan in the garden. Death was never part of God's original design. But death enters the garden when sin enters the world. But it's not just a physical death. It's a spiritual death for eternity in hell. The wages of sin is death. What we earn for our activity is death. But, and don't you love buts, right? You know, if you tell someone, Dinner was great, but they just forgot the fact that you said dinner was great because they're gonna, all they're going to hear is the last part. The wages of sin is death, but, oh, oh, there's something better. There's something else, something different, right? Because that's pretty bad news. Wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Children, Christmas is coming. Do you have to do anything to get a Christmas present? No. You just have to be alive, right? You just have to be awake and breathing. I mean, we give babies Christmas presents. Do they even realize that they're getting a Christmas present? No, the parents are the ones doing the unwrapping, right? No, you don't have to do anything to receive a gift. That's why it's a gift. It's not like the, the, it's like the, 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 the wages of God is this beautiful gift. No, we don't, have to, we don't work for God. I mean, we, we work out our salvation. We obey. We, we live a life that pleases him. We try to do the right things. Those things are all well and good. But we don't, we don't earn our salvation, right? I mean, there's no way because we keep sinning. We keep going back to that first part, right? The wages of sin is death. We keep messing things up. We, we're, we're all naughty. 
But the gift, God gives us this gift of eternal life that's only available through Jesus. Only available through Jesus. We have access to that gift because of the sacrificial death of Jesus on the cross for us. So when we place our faith and trust in him, when we believe in him, when we repent of our sins, say, I'm going to turn from my broken path and I'm going to walk in step with you. When we confess him as Savior, when we are obedient to baptism, buried in, and to identify ourselves with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. We have his work applied to our life. God looks upon us as a righteousness apart from the law, and he sees us as he sees our faith in Jesus and says, There is no punishment for you. And though we are all naughty, God believed that there's room for everyone on the nice list. Maybe, maybe today, the day that you want to proclaim and announce your faith in Jesus. Maybe you've been walking on that razor's edge. Maybe you've been trying to, trying to justify your actions by your own way and maybe it just keeps coming back broken and it's leaving you unsatisfied. The only way, only way to be redeemed, the only way to be restored to God is through faith in Jesus. So maybe today you want, you want to be added to the nice list. And we can help you in that process. We can help you walk through those steps. We can help you with your decision today. And you can, do, you can let us know that by going to cchmd.com connect. And there on the connection card, there's a box that says become a Christian. Check that box. Let us know about your decision today. We'll follow up with you. You can also, if, that's, if it's just as easy, you can text LIFE, LIFE to 240 347 0897. And we can help we can help you walk through the process of, of accepting Jesus as your Lord and Savior. That way, this Christmas, we won't just be celebrating uh, the birth of Jesus, but also your rebirth into his family. Being restored and, and justified from your sin, being set in, 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 in right standing with the law of God, and also fully accepting the future gift of eternal life with Christ Jesus our Lord. That's the reason why he came. That's the reason why the angels sing. That's the reason why the shepherds come, why the wise men travel miles and miles and miles to find the Christ child because we were in need of a Savior. We are in need of a Savior. And God sent his perfect son to die for us, to die in our place so we might have everlasting life, that we might be taken off the naughty list because there's room for everyone on the nice list. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We thank you that you justify us from our sin. Uh, more so than it says in right staying with the law, but you, you placed our punishment on the shoulders of Jesus. That your wrath was poured out upon him that we might put on your righteousness. Father, we thank you that there is no longer any punishment for those of us who believe. That we can stand in right standing before you. And we can declare that you are good. That you are holy. Father, we thank you for making a way for us to come home 
to you, to restore us to relationship with you, Father, to, to give us a hope and a future. Father, I pray that this season is not just about gifts and the trees and the lights and the fun, but Father, that we make it as much about Jesus because he is the reason for this season. Father, he is the, the reason for the songs we sing and the special things that we do because you gave us the perfect gift. We give gifts to each other. And all those gifts pale in comparison to the great gift that you gave us in Jesus. May we share that gift with those around us that they may know of your hope, of your love, the grace available through him. That they may be restored to you. Father, we thank you for Jesus. And in his name I pray. Amen. Glad that you guys have joined us today. Uh, you, you've been able to participate with us in worship, either here in-house or, or the, uh, at home. And remember, this Thursday is our annual meeting. There'll be a link that'll be sent out in the email. Uh, if you want to participate in the offering, you can do so. Uh, also, I hope you just have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.